Hey everybody, it's another Playful Humans podcast. My guest this week is a former stuntman in movies you have definitely seen, a former slam ball athlete, and he is the owner of Ninja Nation, a fitness outfit in Charlotte. And uh, you can find him at KevinCast.com. It's Kevin Cassidy. And we're going to be talking about him and how it's, it is playing for a living especially as a stuntman because he wrote the new book falling down to find myself and i feel like we are all doing both of those things so it'll be really interesting to unpack Kevin, I am recovering from my fourth virus this year uh, and on heavy medication, but we're going to do this and we're going to have some fun uh, with it. The joke of the week is brought to you by the new arsonist dating site. They sent me a lot of matches. Uh, I I highly recommend it. Uh, What did the ocean say to the beach? Don't know. Nothing. It just waved. (laughs) (laughs) Do you have a joke you want to share? What do you call a chameleon who can't change colors? I have no idea. A reptile dysfunction. (laughs) (laughs) He's got a reptile dysfunction. Uh, I like it. All right. That'll get us started in the, in the, a great mood. I don't know where to start with you, Kevin. I love (laughs) when I meet people like you because I've definitely seen your work. I watched slam ball on spike TV back in the day. Uh, I have definitely seen movies. I'll let you shout out, you know, maybe your favorite ones or maybe stunts that we've seen. That's a good place to start because uh, you're talking about major blockbusters, eight Marvel films as a stuntman. Can you think of like the most memorable scene or or what people like kind of thought or you thought was the coolest one to work on? Uh, My first movie was The Longest Yard. So it's Adam Sandler, Burt Reynolds, Terry Crews, Michael Irvin. I'm an ex-athlete. So just so many athletes in there, actors. It was and Sandler and the director and all of Sandler's crew. It was just fun, funny, athletic. It was kind of all worlds colliding. And my first movie, it was really a, Really spoiled me, but it, it was awesome. It what was, was the uh, stunt you did? So I'll, I'll tell you the quick, I'll try to make a quick story. So we were in yeah. Santa Fe, New Mexico, and all the guys who were doing the football stunts were ex football players. Guys that just got cut from USC, I just got done with USC, Southern California, just got cut from the Panthers, arena football guys, all these guys are legit pro football players who we all tried out to make this football team as stunt people. And randomly, I made it. I wasn't good enough, but my slam ball days had a connection that kind of got me in. Anyway, so we, they fly us to Santa Fe, New Mexico, and we're there for like two months, maybe three months. We're all in the hotel. We're all ex-athletes. We're all playing. We're all working on the movie. We're having beers afterwards. It's, you know, it's awesome. And um, the scene where uh, the first time all the inmates come out of the prison, I was on the inmate team, on Sandler's team. We all come out of the prison. And it's the first time we're on the football field. The scene is set up. Sandler gets under center. They hike the ball, goes under his legs. He runs around to get it, turns back around, and we're all fighting. Everyone's just fighting each other. Like, hey, guys, stop. We're here to play football. So that's kind of the setup. And I'm the free safety on the inmate team, so I'm kind of out in the center field. And the stunt coordinator goes, 
All right, everyone, when he turns around, just you fight each other, you fight each other. Everyone mix it up. We're all friends. We're all buddies. We're all athletes. So we're going to see what looks good. Then we're just beat each other up and we'll figure it out. We all have helmets on. And so yeah, yeah, cool. So right before they call action, I say, hey, I'm, I'm out here in center field. I got no one to go to. I don't want to be the guy on film not doing anything. Now, where should I go? Who should I hit? He goes, oh, go over there and mix it up with this guy, the wide receiver and a cornerback over here. It's all right. And again, we're all friends. We've been hanging out in, in the same hotel and everything. So as I'm running over there, the last second, I think, you know what? I'm going to drop kick them. So I jump up and <laughs> kick both of them right in the chest. And they go down in the heap, and we're wrestling around. And they're like, oh, what was that? Ah. We hear the whistle. They yell cut. Stand there in the director, and all the big wigs go behind the – it's called Video Village, and look at the playback. And the whole tent goes, oh, who dropped it, somebody? I was like, oh. <laughs> I'm fired. That was too far. My first movie, I had a good run. So I tried to hide behind my buddy, but it's literally on film. They're going to know who it is. Yeah, you have a number on your chest. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It was me. I'm sorry. I thought it'd be funny. I I won't do it again. I apologize. Like, that was awesome. Do it again. So they got a camera and they focused on it. And then a month or two later, we're doing a, that scene. We're actually. doing the scene. I can picture the, uh, the exact uh, scene in your moves. Yeah, that's hysterical. Uh, on, on the kickoff, on the, on the game of the kickoff, we're playing the guards. And the director says, "Hey, Cassidy, can you do the kick, the drop kick again?" I'm like, "Absolutely." So the camera <laughs> focused on it. I drop kicked these guys and made a trailer of the movie. And it was my first big Hollywood stunt. <laughs> Wow, that's amazing. <laughs> and just a spur of the, spur of the yeah. moment improv. For you. I, I thought I got fired for it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny. As long as nobody gets hurt, it's hard to get fired. Yeah, it's part, of, part of the job. You get bruised a little bit, yeah. you get a little banged up. <laughs> uh, now, tell me about the the Marvel ones. That seems crazy to, to me. And uh, those are obviously huge budget films and a ton of crazy stunts. Was there anything that stood out to you? My first Marvel film was Ant-Man, the first Ant-Man with Paul Rudd. Yeah. And uh, Marvel had already been doing pretty good. Uh, I actually worked on Iron Man 3 for like a day, but not really much. (laughs) And um, got called to do Ant-Man. I was doubling the main bad guys. I was a Yellow Jacket character. Everything in the Yellow Jacket suit was me doing all the fights and all that stuff. And um, Marvel is already really successful at this time. And we, when you're on the core team, you start like three months before you film. So we're doing script breakdowns, we're choreographing the fights, we're learning how these people move and going back to the director, talking with the actors and really inventing some of the characters, which is a really cool process. And my character, the Yellow Jacket character, um, they didn't really know if he could fly, if he could jump really fast, do this extra arm, shoot guns, kind of grab people. So we kind of had a really cool time playing around with that, creating what that character would do with the actor, uh, Corey Stoll and the director and all the big wigs. And we would spend all day coming up with cool things and video it. And like, how about this? And like, ah, how about, okay. And we go back and we invented the game. How about this? And we finally dialed in what that character could do and his personality and, and all that. So that was really cool to be on the creative side of it as well, especially in my first Marvel movie. And honestly, while we were filming it, we're like, ah, this is going to be their first flop. I mean, Marvel had a good (laughs) run. This one's not going to make it. Paul Rudd, superhero. I mean... And I read the script. And I was Paul involved. Rudd's from Kansas City. He's he's one of my guys. He's one of my first celebrities that I met and got his autograph like back in the '90s when he was Love on Friends. Guy. But he's not yeah. the the superhero uh, yeah. archetype. And yeah, I read the whole script. We were filming ninety percent of the movie. I'm involved in, but you see the scenes individually, and then you go to San Francisco, and you don't really know how it ties together. And 
And we went to the uh, cast and crew screening and we saw it. We were like, <laughs> that was great. They did it. They figured it out. What a cool the fun. Yeah. yeah, the personality really came through. So that was really cool to be involved in that one. That's funny. Yeah, that that's great. The other one I wanted to ask you about was probably uh, one of the later ones, Black Panther. Uh, yeah. How did that work out? And uh, how did you get in, in that one? Well, Stunks is a uh, all word of mouth business. It's um, mm-hmm. There's no agents, no managers, no auditions. Every now and then, it's like the big football movies or something. We'll have an audition for especially, we need to hire 50 football players. Okay, well, you got to have a tryout. Uh, but every other movie is just word of mouth. You have to build up your reputation, do a good job, get referred, get referred, get referred. And by the time Black Panther, I'd already been in business probably 15 years, built up a good reputation. I knew somebody high up on every movie. And, uh, I was living in Atlanta at the time, and I was filming it in Atlanta. And um, so I got called to the stunt department's pretty big. So you have the stunt coordinator who's head of the stunt department. He hires the fight choreographer who helps hire all the fight people. And you have the key rigger who actually builds the pulley systems. And the fight choreographer says, hey, I'm going to throw this guy across this room. He goes to the key rigger. Hey, rigger, can you physically build something to throw this guy across the room? Here's what I want. I'm not really that high. Where's the room? What are the dimensions? They work together to actually physically make that product. Um, and then there's the previous people, the camera people who edit it and then show the director. And then the random guys that come in a day or two at a time just to fall down and go home. But this core team of like a coordinator, the fight choreographer, the fight guys and main doubles and the rigging team are kind of like the core central group of the stunt department. So in Black Panther, I was on that rigging team. Uh, so I would oh, help cool. the, the fight choreographer and all that, learn how to fly people around, pull, hang pulleys, jump off rope. So if I get yanked through a window, which I've done many times, uh, you'll have a vest on with a rope behind you, go through a pulley system, back to a pulley system, whatever. And that could be in a compressed air, hit a button, and you go. Or could you be on the rope and I jump off a ladder and I yank you. Uh, depends on what the scene <laughs> needs and everything. So uh, inventing and working and all that kind of stuff was even when we threw the guy out the waterfall in Black Panther, he's on the line and there's a decelerator that slows him down. There's a pad right. So we work to build all the actual uh, contraptions that keep people safe in oh, the wow. air and on the ground. Uh, that's amazing. I, I think, yeah, people know how much money they spend on those and most of it is marketing budget. But you could also see where for like, you know, two seconds of a fight scene, they had to spend thousands and thousands of dollars and have a team of, like you said, I don't know what, 10, 20 people uh, set up that shot where they go through a window. Like it's a few seconds of a movie that adds up when you got a two hour uh, movie. I I think that's really cool. And I appreciate you explaining that to us. I I wanted to circle back though, and ask a, a little bit about, um, where you are now and, and what you learned about yourself that you put into this book, because, uh, I'm judging by, you know, our hairstyles and, uh, and gray and the goatee that, um, we're about the the same age. I'm 43. And I was thinking, you know, slam ball time about the time that I could have done something like that as well. Uh, so <laughs> when I was a DJ in bars and clubs, I always thought to myself, like, there's no like cool 40 year old DJs. And I imagine as a stuntman, you're thinking there's a limited clock on this as well. There's going to be a time where I am uh, not going to be the person jumping out of, of the window. So how did that like work itself out for you or, or how do you feel about that as your, you know, stunt career came to an end? 
Yeah, well, I'm 45, so right, yeah, right on the money. Um, I uh, in, in the stunt world, you, like I was saying, in the Black Panther, I was on the rigging team of it. So there's a if you're yeah. good enough and you build enough tools in your toolbox, I say, physically you got to be able to like, ride a horse, do fight scenes, jump out the window, play football, all these things you can be good at, and that serves you for a while until your body starts getting beat up. And people do it longer. Mm-hmm. Oh, some forty-five. Year old yeah, I'm sure. Do you think? I mean, old guys need stuntmen too, right? If uh, yeah. <laughs> what? Uh, not, I mean, The Rock's fifty now or something like that. But um, I was thinking of uh, Rocky. Um, Stallone. Sylvester Stallone is yeah. still doing action stunts. Like he needs a stunt double at yeah. seventy. And so we'll, we'll, you need a seventy-year-old stunt double, right? Uh, we'll put some makeup you know, on like a younger guy if you have to. Yeah. Old wigs on young guys. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's what I thought. It gets too old, but it will definitely have uh, some older guys that do it. But not you can't you can't have a career of being in front of the camera, falling down as your main double at fifty. Yeah. So if you've done your, if you've built your career right, you have avenues behind the camera. You become the stunt coordinator. You become the rigging coordinator. You become the fight choreographer. You become a guy who can edit the films. You become the guy who helps hire everybody, who helps wrangle people. So there's enough. Um, and then like I did Gardens of the Galaxy 3 that's it's coming out soon. I got called down there. And I said, so I go back up. I left uh, the movies just because the time constraint. I had three young kids. I have a six-year-old, a four-year-old, and a two-year-old now. And I was in London and Prague doing Spider-Man Far From Home, which was awesome. I did Spider-Man Homecoming. Love working with Tom Holland and that crew. And um, But that's a young man's game, too. I don't want to be in Europe for five months. I came home one weekend for my daughter's birthday, flew right back to Europe on Sunday night. So yeah, that's, that's also a, a young man's game aspect of us. And now with a family, I did almost 18 years full time on it. Um, so I, I checked that box. I did it. I retired. I bought a, a Ninja Warrior franchise. I'm the second ever franchise owner of a cool Ninja Warrior gym where kids come and uh, play. We call it play, train, or compete. You can come play on it. Just come and hang out. You can train. We have competitive uh, development classes, and we have a competitive team. You can compete all around the country. So that's kind of what I do now. I own that, and I wrote a book called Falling Down to Find Myself, which is um, called a philosophical memoir. It's a story of my life with some philosophical themes um, that got me through some hardships. I was born with a speech impediment and a, and a uh, severe facial birth defect. So um, I had a lot of surgeries. I learned how to talk every year, every year. Uh, a lot of bullying, a lot of teasing, a lot of playful outlets with sports and physical outlets with football, and then got into Hollywood, left that. So the book is <clears throat> culmination of my life, my philosophical uh, principles that kind of got me through a lot of crazy stuff. But at the end of the day, I was so happy through it all. Most of my memories are all happy memories, even in you know, the tougher times. Yeah, I wanted to dig into that because I think it's a great lesson for anybody listening and one that I kind of had to learn myself, too. I always kind of considered myself a scrawny nerd and maybe it was more in my head than it was reality when I, I look back at things. I mean, I lettered in four varsity sports. You can't really consider yourself <laughs> like a nerd at that point. But um but I definitely didn't feel like one of the cool kids. And there were definitely things that I also won the science knowledge bowl championship and stuff. And not too many people ever did both. So I kind of felt like I didn't fit in in either camp, if that makes sense. Uh, but I found that there's a few lessons for me. One, I think is, uh, when it comes to play and what you're passionate about, it's really easy to let bullying um, stop you from doing that. And it sounds like it didn't, 
for you and and with your um, facial deformity too, doesn't seem like movie career would be your first choice as a, a kid. How did that, you know, all reconcile in your head or what was the maybe the story you told yourself about all of that? I think I was lucky on, on a lot of fronts that my outlet, my passion was sports and physical like movement. And that was never bullied against like, Hey, I go out and play football, go out and play baseball. And I was always a good athlete. And it actually really helped my mental state because you put a helmet on, no one sees your face run out there and tackle somebody. And then after practice, like, Oh yeah, I forgot you didn't have any teeth or your nose is all jacked up. Or <laughs> so you have some reprieve of reality of, you know, of that different reality and kind of hide behind the, you know, the sport for a little bit. And because that was my true passion, that really fit too thin. I got very lucky that that was the case. If my passion was, and I actually was in a drama club in junior high. Um, I liked being, I was funny, I was witty, and um, didn't really let my speech. I didn't hear how I talked like everybody else heard me. So, and I was very short memory, maybe not a very smart kid. So I would forget that I looked funny or talked funny until, you know, the constant tease. I mean, people remind you of it all the time. Like, oh, yeah. Maybe I should stop talking, but um, <laughs> didn't really. I was either just stubborn from birth, you know, nature or nurture, who knows. But like I said my passions aligned with the outlets I needed as a kid. So um, and it never really. I had a good support system at home in a way that there was no currency in being a victim. Like mm-hmm. I'm originally from New York. I lived in New York till I was ten. My mom grew up in Queens. My dad grew up in Brooklyn. My grandfather was a New York City cop. My uncle was a New York City cop. So it was. It was a pretty tough love environment. So to this day, my mom, in, in the book, I call her lovably, lovably oblivious. Because she's like, I never knew you were getting bullied. My mom, I went to a pretty rough school with no face and a speech impediment. I came with black eyes. Like, I never knew. So, um, <laughs> How did you think that was going? Yeah, I kind of feel that's the, the same maybe for everybody. Nobody really knows, you know, what somebody else's uh, story is. But there's another part of that that I, I wanted to ask you about, because I think the research that I'm seeing now for kids is terrible, that they're giving up on organized sports by 13 because it's becoming too competitive. It's like a job and it's not fun anymore. Now, I love the Ninja Warrior training that you're doing at Ninja Nation and stuff. And I think that's obviously a fun thing, but I think anytime something gets too competitive, it can become more of like a job or feel like a failure rather than building self-esteem and confidence, which is what play in, in my opinion, sports and athletics should be doing for people. And what it really did for me in all those sports was that's where I learned my confidence is that I could um, be the leader. I could be the team captain on the soccer field or, um, I could ride the pine in basketball (laughs) and it didn't really matter too much because I was part of the team and I was figuring it out. And that was just kind of where I I was. I didn't feel um, same thing with my parents. I didn't feel judged for it either way. I was doing whatever that sports season was and whatever was the most fun and hanging out with my friends. And it wasn't really about the trophies and and stuff for me, which I, I thought was a really great time, but I can't say that's true for everybody now. Yeah, I think and I played minor league baseball. So I went to college and played baseball. I could have, I was better at football, but I chose baseball. I ended up playing the minor leagues a little bit and then was a teacher in Baltimore, Maryland. Got in the slam ball, went to LA, and well, that's a short version of it. But when I was leaving Hollywood, 
I always wanted to go back to my mentorship, teaching, coaching, those kind of roots. Mm-hmm. And I had a bunch of business plans written, uh, baseball training facility, bigger, stronger, faster stuff, all the things that I kind of knew better. And I don't know anything about Ninja. Well, I was in the stunt world. I trained. I used to test the course. I knew guys who were Ninja Warriors and parkour athletes and um, guys who were motocross guys or Red Bull skydivers or skateboarders or that whole S-Games crew yeah. in the stunt world just had the right mentality, the right head in their shoulders. If they lost, they were the first guy to run up and the guy won. Generally happy for them, high-fiving each other, training their butt off. But that mentality is just – it's not it's not there in baseball. I could have easily been, hey, I'm a stunt guy. You're playing minor league baseball. Come to my gym and learn how to play baseball. But I call it they monetize it at such a young age. If you're good at 10 years old, you got middle men saying, hey, give me $1,000 a month. I'll get you a scholarship to Stanford. I'll get you here. I'll get you there. And they're telling the parents how good the kid is just to get the money out of them. And then the parents believe it. It's just a soul-sucking environment that I didn't want my life to be in that environment because I would just be – I would be the button heads of everybody. <laughs> um <laughs> So I wanted to have something more in the X Games world. So my business plan was parkour ninja warrior um, business with a little personal training side of it and doing the research and a P&L to try and get to the bank loan and all that stuff over a year, a little over a year. Um, I found a company called Ninja Nation that's based in uh, Denver, Colorado. That's a ninja warrior gym. They're doing it right. It's a beautiful place. Like guys who started it, are kind of leaving corporate America to do something better with their lives, help kids, uh, philosophically that. be aligned right away. And I was leaving Hollywood for uh, my time ROI because I was just never home. And when I wanted to make, you know, a million, two million dollars a year, I stay in Hollywood. But I don't, I want to be with my kids and hang out. So the franchise model, I'm the second ever franchise owner. They gave me a long leash to kind of help build their brand, try new things, build it up from the ground up. Uh, so I went with, that business model helped their brand and and it's literally you always have uber competitive people i play co-ed kickball in la and there's always a few guys who are just <laughs> they can't help themselves but be a-holes on, on a competitive field you're gonna have yeah. a couple parents like that no matter what even in ninja there's no scholarships and there's no pro ball you're not going anywhere take it for what it is learn how to jump from here to here and you're gonna fail 10 times in a row Guess what? Then you're going to make it. It's going to feel great. And you're going to do that 10,000 different times and 10,000 different obstacles in this whole arena. And you're going to be better for it. And that's kind of the culture we're building with this business. And it's really cool to be part of. Yeah, I think that's awesome what you said about the X game mentality. I haven't ever thought of that example before on this podcast. We talk a lot about different game mechanics and things, whether it's game shows or um, puzzles and board games and all kinds of different things. But uh, most people don't realize that there's difference between finite games and, and infinite games. And so like finite games, you're always competing, you know, in, in tennis, it's one person, one point at a time, you're adding it up, you're winning games, you win sets, you win matches, you know, and in something like the X games, what I, I love that you mentioned about it is they want to see somebody do something cool. And whether that guy lands his trick or not has no bearing on whether you do or, or not, you're not really directly competing. You want to see them do something awesome. And I think that's the cool part about it is it's more of infinite. It's like, well, how many spins can we actually do here before we wipe out? And like, how crazy can we, you know, push the limits 
Um, and that to me is a lot more interesting because then they're, they're competing with each other and pushing each other to do better rather than, um, against each other and trying to break down the other person. That's yeah. They're cool actually, concept. they're training together as they're almost on the same Most team the competing yeah. against each other and their competitions, but even in like motocross or it is a more finite winner and loser. Uh, one of my good friends was a high end motocross guy is now a stuntman. And the one big race he was gonna win, he was winning. He wiped out like ten feet for the another guy jumped over a guy that he was good friends with. He runs to that guy, he hugs him, and goes, "Oh my god, that was so awesome!" He, was, I mean, that that mentality is just contagious in that world. And yeah. now there's more money in it, and maybe it won't be that forever. But right now, that's kind of what I, I want to recreate. And any kind, I don't care if, if it's playing hopscotch uh, just mentality in life is, is better served well that's what my mission is here and i really appreciate you sped, spreading that message today playful humans is really about and whether it's in business or life or anything else it's like don't make it hard don't make it work make it playful make it fun go you know do it with other people and and spread that positive energy of getting lost in the moment and living your best life trying new things and uh, learning and failing and and growing from all of that so uh, really cool to hear your story. Anything else I should have asked and, and missed or that you want to share from us or anything uh, about the book falling down to find myself available now. Yeah. So yeah, I wrote the book, which was a cool experience and I'm actually doing speaking engagements at school. So I'm building uh, the message of the book is who you are matters more than what you are, who, what I was as a bully kid, to a Hollywood stuntman hanging out with Tom Holland playing golf. Those, neither one of those two things, I didn't identify with them. didn't matter as much. Who I was, a good friend, high character, worked hard, uh, trustworthy, dependable. Those things I, I stake my my character on and my happiness on at an early age because of the birth defect and the bullying and everything. So the message of the book is even if you're an adult who's been good looking this whole life, you're going to go through a transition, whether you're empty nest or whatever. And then if you put all your identity in, in what you are, you're setting yourself up for, for heartache. So that's kind of the main message in the book. And I go through my story uh, with that. And I'm going to schools and talking about it and showing cool clips of me and Marvel movies and say, listen, I left that just like this, just like I left being a bully kid to be with my family. It was never, that was never who I was. It was something cool I did. It was what I did. So trying to build that message. I'm building a curriculum around the book. I'm going to schools and I'm teach, um, speaking at conferences, trying to spread that message. Um, so that's kind of my, that and the ninja business, kind of putting those two worlds together. It's kind of my, uh, my passion, my outlet right now. Uh, me too. That's uh, another one that I'm putting in my book uh, is this lesson that I, I think how is kind of interesting too, that we keep asking kids what they want to be when they grow up. And I think it's because adults still don't have a great answer. They're looking for what the kids have to say. Uh, they're like, do you have any better ideas than I do? <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, um, but I saw an awesome stat you can use uh, here is that kids graduating from college now will have nine different jobs uh, in, throughout their career. Seven of them have not been invented. Wow. But, you know, think about what I do now. I wanted to be on the radio when I was in fifth grade. Sure. But podcasting wasn't an available option. Wow. So I think when we get so hung up on what we're going to be, we're missing the forest for the trees. Uh, again, I think it's more about who do you want to, to be? 
And that changes that a lot of people don't realize that who can change You're You're a lot different at 40 than you are at, at 20. And you'll be as different at 60 as <laughs> than you were <laughs> uh, over those 20 years. And so I'm trying to focus on day to day, like, how do I want to be? And playful was the word that I landed on, but I also want to be fit. Uh, so I can be, that's something that I can be. You know, that's something that I can work on. I can't, you know, really determine whether other people will hire me for a job title of what I want to be, but I can be fun. I can be fit. I can uh, bring good energy. I can be positive. Those are all things that I can control. And I think that's a huge message for children and adults. So love yeah. to help you spread that message too. Yeah. Once you control those things, once you have a good, you know, I call it having humble confidence. Like be confident, but humble about it. Uh, confidence without humility, is just ego. But when, once you have that kind of, okay, I'm fine. I'm, I, that's A, it's contagious, and you'll attract other people who have that mentality. You'll be happier at life. But B, it'll let you put yourself out there more. Like, I was a teacher in Baltimore, and I'm like, hey, I'll go to a slam ball tryout. I mean, why not? I got, I know I'm pretty good at teaching and stuff. I can always fall by that. Let's take a shot. So I was confident in who I was. And I'm like, yeah, I, I can go and explore options. And uh, if you're not, if you're like, well, if I don't have money, if I don't have this job, if I don't have this by the time I'm 30, then I'm going to not be happy. You're never going to be happy. Just be willing to throw yourself out there and fail, and you'll be better for it as well. And you're more apt to do that once you do that, you know, the work of, of who you are and, and, and being fun and having energy and all that kind of stuff. Love that. Are you ready to play a game? Yeah, let's do it. All right. We're spinning our wheel of games, and you got... Survey says, survey says is we surveyed 100 people, the top four answers on the card here. You just need one of the top four to win the question. Uh, okay. We asked 100 people to name one of the seven dwarves. Who do you think were the most popular of the seven dwarves? Sleepy. Sleepy's number one answer. There you go. Congratulations. Uh, winner already. Dopey, Grumpy, Doc, Sneezy, and Happy. Six out of seven dwarves are not happy. We need to do something about that. Uh, two. Question number two, name a reason you might not recognize an old friend. If you haven't seen somebody in a while. I, Lost our hair. Hair, yes. Uh, that one definitely made it on there for us. But that was number five, oh. uh, weight loss gain, uh, just aged plastic surgery, or, uh, and then it says change in appearance, which I feel like is all of them. Those, those are bad yeah. answers, but uh, <laughs> you got it on there anyway. Uh, last one, this is, I saved the toughest one for last. Based on how much you use it, what would you consider the greatest invention ever? I guess it depends where you live. I would say fire if living in a cold area. Uh, there you and go. That's a good cooking. one. But uh, Fire did not make it on there. I think ah. they were looking for more technology and an invention. Uh, telephone, number one answer. Electricity, number two. TV, car, and computer made the list. That must but, be an old one because computer definitely got past telephone nowadays. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's way up there. Well, phones are uh, computers these days. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, two out of three, you win. That means the podcast is yours. Anything we can do to help you or you can do to help us? Uh, yeah, just getting the word out and be, making more more playful humans is and, and having them find each other so they can you know, continually be contagious for the playfulness. Uh, my website's kevincast.com. Uh, anything I can do to help you guys get come, come to Ninja Nation. There's two in Denver, Colorado, two in Dallas, 
one opening in Austin, Texas now, one opening in Nashville. They're starting to spread. But even if it's not a ninja nation, any kind of ninja warrior parkour kind of thing, throw your kids in that. It's a really cool X Games mentality sport that I think will uh, will create playful humans. I love it. Again, that's Kevin Cassidy, owner of Ninja Nation in Charlotte, uh, former stuntman, and Kevin Cass, C-A-S-S dot com is the website. The book was falling down to find myself. The links are in the show notes below. Leave us a comment. Share this episode with anybody that you think needs to hear it. And as Kevin said, if you need want to share the message on Playful Humans, we'd love to have you join the community. There's a couple of fun uh, BuzzFeed style quizzes on the website and other uh, jokes of the week that you can find there as well. So go check it out, PlayfulHumans.com. Don't wait for tomorrow. Live for today. Keep on chasing the sunshine. And go out and play. Go play, everybody.